Last Sunday, we completed our third of five Romans series. By the time we complete Romans into next summer, we'll have taken it in five sections. And I told you when we began Romans the first part of this year that what we would do is we would take a section of Romans and then we would punctuate that with uh, an in-between series, kind of a palate cleansing uh, kind of series in order to prepare for the next course in Romans, but not before we've tried to apply the course in Romans that we've uh, just been through. Because Romans chapters 1 through 11 are very uh, heavily doctrinal. They give us a lot to know and understand, and they don't necessarily give us the how-to. And so we go other places in Scripture in between Romans sections to apply what we've picked up from that last section that we were just in. And we were just in Romans 6 through 8, the heart of Romans. What does John 15, this passage that Sugail just read for us, what does John 15 have to do with Romans chapter 6 through 8? Well, back in Romans 6, we learned that our old self was crucified with Christ. That's the wording in Romans 6, 6. Our old self is crucified with Christ, and the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus happens the day after this night that John 15 records these words he spoke to his disciples. And Jesus was crucified, we also learned back in Romans 6 through 8, crucified in order for us to be freed from our slavery to sin which a lot of the reformational emphasis that we've had this morning, this hymn that we've sort of sung through and, and ordered the service around, is uh, emphatic about. The salvation, grace of God, was given to liberate us from our captivity to sin. Our sin is, uh, we go looking for something uh, for ourselves, uh, that we won't locate in our Savior. That's, that's what sin is and does. And so we learned in Romans 6 through 8, grace isn't just something to believe in. We learned that grace is something that shapes us. It forms us. We use the term cruciforms, to be shaped by the cross, by the, 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 the love of the cross and the, and the sacrifice that, that happened there. And so grace cruciforms our loves and our longings, our desires and our expectations of life so that we obey from the heart. And this gets us into John 15 because this is what John 15, Jesus in John 15 is interested in. Obedience from the heart. Not just obedience, but a certain kind of obedience. A certain motivational structure for obedience. And so taking that line, really a couple of lines from Romans 6 and 7. In Romans chapter 6, 17, you can go back and look at it later. We get that phrase, obedience from the heart. In Romans chapter 7, verse 6, we get that phrase, we serve in the new way of the Spirit. What does this have to do with John 15? Well, Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8, where we just spent the last couple of months, they don't really spell out how we're to serve in the new way of the Spirit. How are we to obey from the heart? We love the truth. It washes over us. But we go to John 15 now for the how. Jesus' words in John 15, I want you to first note that they are directed to his disciples. Judas is out of the room back in John chapter 13. Chapter 13 through 17 of John is a, is a block of conversation punctuated by a prayer at the, uh, uh, at the end of it. And Jesus says to these men who followed him, now the eleven... 
and to us over their shoulder through time, we who have become also his disciples through their witness. He says, let's pick it back up in verse four, abide in me, he uses this word abide. I'll try to give you a, a picture of it. Abide in me, verse four, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Sue Gale stopped the reading this morning at verse six. We are going to eventually get to verse 17 as we spend six weeks here in John 15. But abiding means obeying from the heart. That's what it means. Before Paul spoke of obedience from the heart in Romans 6, Jesus spoke of it here in John 15. Jesus is about to go to the cross in obedience from the heart to his Father's will on our behalf for our, for our benefit. And so he says in verse 4, abide in me and I in you. And his abiding in us is about his union with us, our being able to relate to him because of his obedience from the heart meaning he obeyed his father out of love for his father. And our abiding in him is the same kind of track. So we've got a couple of weeks, well, six weeks here to try to understand this, to try to wrap our minds around this image uh, that comes out of uh, first century farming practices. Some of it is still uh, practiced today, but we have a lot of mo modern farming techniques and some of this uh, can get lost or we, we clip our hedges or prune a branch off a tree and it doesn't die and we go well I know what pruning is about I've, I've got a good idea of that and in reality there's a background here I'll try to give you this morning and, and refresh it as we go that helps us understand what is and what isn't going on here because John 15 is well loved truth but sometimes it's misdirected so I want to try to address that as we go through the grace that comes to us through the cross it cruciforms our motivational structure so that we want to obey, as Ken was saying earlier, as he was taking us through the solas. We want to obey from God's approval, not for it, so that we want to abide in Jesus and we want to put his grace to work. When Paul later writes Timothy, uh, he talks to Timothy about certain practices and he says, not just to practice these things I'm commending to you, Timothy, but immerse yourself in them. And I want to commend to us a small handful of abiding practices using John 15 as a base text, seeking to apply what we've just been through the last couple of months in Romans chapter 6 through 8. Now, when I talked or previewed this, that we'd be in John 15 after Romans 6 through 8, I, I talked about spiritual disciplines. And you can call these spiritual disciplines, but we're going to really refer to them as abiding practices. Coming as we have from Romans verses or chapter 6 through 8, I want to commend six practices to you that are cruciforming in effect if we immerse ourselves in them. Again, before Paul spoke about obedience from the heart, Romans 6, 17... Jesus spoke about it here in John 15, and he put this in an image, as Jesus often did. He, he, he thought and taught in pictures. And the picture he gives is the tending of grapevines in a vineyard. He says that he's the vine, we're the vine branches, and his father is the vine dresser. Verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. What does the vine dresser do? 
He tends to the branches that are growing off the vine. The vine is the thing planted. The vine is in the ground. The vine comes first. The branches grow from it, off of it. The fruit is on those branches. Those branches are connected to the vine. The branches bear the fruit. And the vine branches grow either along the ground, trailing the vine, where they then need to be trimmed and and cleaned as the season unfolds, or the branches get placed on a trellis. You know what a trellis is? Kind of a lattice work or or these bars and poles uh, out of which the vines can be placed. The text says that unfruitful branches are actually trellised in order for them to produce. Now, I'll tell you why I'm calling this a trellising rather than a taking away, as it says in English. This was the practice in Jesus' day, this practice of trellising unfruitful branches, lifting them up off the ground and putting them on a trellis. This is the image we're going to work with for six Sundays. Again, down to verse 17 eventually as we go. And all of this in the interest, what is Jesus' grand point? The grand point is that he wants his disciples, that's who he's talking to. He's not talking to non-Christians here. This passage isn't about non-Christians. This passage is about Christians, disciples, followers of Jesus, whom he wants to be useful to God because that's what fruitfulness is. And he talks about bearing fruit all through chapter 15 here. It's cultivating obedience from the heart out of love for God. How do we do this? I want us to consider just six abiding practices. You can call them spiritual disciplines if you like. That's fine. And I'm going to begin today with listening. But now if you know spiritual disciplines, you say, well, I don't don't think listening is actually a spiritual discipline. Right. Not in a classic consideration of spiritual disciplines, but listening to God is an abiding practice of fruitful Christians. And when I say listening, I mean listening to God. I'm not talking about some sort of open-mindedness the church needs to be more open-minded and stuff like that we need to listen more you know we probably could stand to listen more and speak less James even tells us to be quick to listen slow to speak but we're talking about listening to God as an abiding practice of fruitful Christians that listening is a way we cultivate greater usefulness to God and that's the point of John 15 this is the point of the instruction of the disciples. I'm sending you out. And, and I'm sending you out to bear fruit. I've called you to bear fruit for me. How do we do this? I want to commend listening to you. First, let's get a sense of the image and uh, this whole point of fruit bearing here in John 15. The idea of abiding, it's actually mentioned 10 times by Jesus uh, here in this chapter. And bearing fruit is mentioned six times. I only mention how often just, to, just so you see the emphasis. And the point of abiding and fruit bearing together is our usefulness to God, who does not lavish his grace on us for us to soak in it like it's a kind of a big hot tub, but to bottle us up and distribute us all around the world as people marked by the gospel of grace. Teetotalers in the room, you'll pardon my saying so, but the church is like a wine-producing vineyard. This is the image that we're given here. And the Lord says to us here that God cares about our growth so much he is willing to cut on us 
to cut away from us whatever works against his using us, to cut away from us whatever works against our loving him, to cut away from us whatever works against our obeying him from the heart. Just as supervision of a grapevine involves pruning, trimming, cutting, so does our spiritual formation in Christ. Jesus says this is the way it's going to be. And note here as you look at the text that whether we are fruitful or not, we are cut either way. Do you see that? We're cut either way. We see that in this text. Unfruitful branches are trimmed or trimmed and trellised. Fruitful branches are pruned. What is this about? It's about cultivating obedience from the heart. God isn't interested in robotic response. He's interested in the response of love. He calls us to abide for this very reason. It's about our love for him. Cultivating the, the image, the imagery is, is agricultural. It's actually viticulture is the, is the, is the proper way to, uh, to uh, call tending a, a vineyard. Cultivation of obedience. Abiding is another way of describing obedience from the heart. I'll read it to you again from Romans 6, 17. This is Romans 6, 17. You don't have to turn there, just listen. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, that is owned by sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Where were we committed to that standard of teaching? Right here by Jesus, John 15, verse 4, abide in me and I in you. This is where he commits us. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, verse 4, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that's useful to me that bears much fruit. That's the point. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Why not? Because we can do a lot of things. What is he getting at? I mean, you can, you can serve externally in your, in your interior life being shambles. You can put on. You can obey out of self-righteousness. You can obey out of image management. You can obey out of behavior modification. What is he getting at? We're not that useful to God unless our obedience is from the heart, out of love. If we do obedience as self-righteousness, as if we do obedience out of image management, if we do obedience out of behavior modification in order to get or keep God's acceptance of us, Jesus says that really amounts to nothing. Feel the disappointment in that word, nothing. And it's not his disappointment, it's ours. Because nothing means he didn't use us. He couldn't use us. We weren't abiding. I was in a uh, waiting room this week. A child was having an appointment and I'm just sitting there reading uh, and uh, a grandmother comes in with her granddaughter and they go to the counter and say, we're, we're here for our appointment. And the assistant says, oh, I'm sorry. Your appointment was moved. You didn't get the message. And the grandmother says, no, and we moved heaven and earth to be here at this moment. And the assistant said, well, I'm really sorry, but it says in the notes here that, that your appointment was moved and, and, uh, 
and I, I don't know what to say. And, and so the grandmother turned uh, on her heels and, and as she took the granddaughter out of the uh, waiting area, as they got to the door, she announced, well, this was a nothing burger. <laughs> Obedience that is not from the heart out of abiding love for Jesus is a nothing burger. Obedience that is not a response to his greater love for me might as well be plastic fruit. It's just decor because it amounts to nothing, no thing. Look at it, the end of verse 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Meaning what? Meaning our call is to render our whole selves to God in love and whatever isn't from love really amounts to nothing in the end listen try to obey God from something other than love for him and you will wear yourself out you will burn yourself out in fact you will oftentimes come to resent him one of the significant figures of the Reformation, Martin Luther. The story is very familiar to us about how Luther was told by one of his uh, spiritual fathers while he was still an Augustinian monk, Luther, you must love God. And Luther goes, love God? I hate him. Because at that point, Luther didn't understand the gospel. He was trying to win God's acceptance of him, and he knew that he couldn't. He knew that unholy Martin Luther could not make holy God love him. It just wasn't going to happen. And all his obedience was doing was generating this resentment toward God. Try to obey God from something other than love, you get disillusioned. And I'll tell you what else happens to you. Relationally, you become a prickly pear because it's all about you and, 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 and us seeing your zeal for God and you run over people. You chew them up. Jesus lifts up this image of the vine, and literally, he lifts it up. I mentioned trellising earlier. You say, where is trellising in this text? Well, it's actually in verse 2. We don't have the word in the English text here, but we do have the concept if we understand verse 2 rightly. Unfortunately, our English translations have made a decision to go with another meaning from the root word of uh, the word that's rendered here in verse 2, takes away. You see, takes away, verse 2. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And the root word is probably better rendered to lift rather than to take away. It's an interpretive debate. Take away is the interpretation we get when we try to interpret verse 2 by what's down in verse 6. And yet verse 2 and verse 6 are happening at different seasons. Now I know the explanation here can seem a little tedious, but stay with me to get the bigger point. Got to try to explain this a little bit. And the bigger point is about obedience from the heart. Do you think Jesus wants to make obedience hard for you? When you picture God, do you picture someone who's just waiting to cut you off? He's so tired of you. What a regrettable decision to bring you into his kingdom. Have you really heard the gospel? Have you listened to it so that it's rooted in your heart and it, and it, and it bears the, the fruit that, that even on your worst day, you, you still draw near to him and respond to him? 
Jesus saves us to gather fruit from us. He does. But notice in verse 2, the unfruitful and fruitful branches get cut on. Both. Because the overall point is about usefulness to God. This is not about who's a Christian and who's not a Christian. Why do I say that? Jesus is speaking to his own. Look what he says in verse 2. Every branch in me. In me, he's talking about disciples and only disciples. Even in verse 6. Verse 6 is not directed at non-Christians. It's being directed at non-useful disciples who aren't abiding. Abiding isn't automatic. It's a practice. It's something you give yourself to. It's a way of responding to him and cultivating a love response to him. That's what he wants. It's a different season in verse 6 because the wording in verse 6 is thrown away. Notice this. Look at verse 6. The wording is thrown away. The wording in verse 2, English rendering, take away, better lift up. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. That is, he trellises would be the better sense of it. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. These are two different seasons. Verse 2 is speaking of the pruning and the trellising that happened in the springtime. Verse 6 is speaking of the end of season before dormancy. The first part of verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, he trellises, he lifts up to put on a trellis. This is better pictured as this trellising of an unfruitful vine, not just because the root word I think is better understood to be lift up, but also because, well, how about this? This is how vine dressers in Jesus' day actually worked. Wouldn't that be important to know what the imagery is actually based on? How did they handle unfruitful branches in vineyards in Jesus' day? They never just went out there with their shears from Lowe's and started lopping them off. They trellised. That's what they did. You can research this. You can look at this. But again, what we do is we, we don't kill the maple in the front yard and, and we cut off a few branches last year and we asked our landscaping friend later, and he goes, ah, you, you might have been a little late doing that. And it comes flowering back. Yeah, I get pruning. I get it. I get it. I know what that's about. Or you plant a little tomato vine, you know, and if the dog doesn't pee on it too many times walking out, you get the, the good tomatoes. And don't, you give your neighbors you don't like, here's some tomatoes for you. That's, it was the low-hanging fruit that the dog got to, you know. You say, oh, I know, I know all about this. Well, there, there was a way they did this. And Jesus' disciples talking to them, and this, they, they got it. They knew exactly what he was talking about. They knew the seasons. They knew the difference in the way that, that they handled uh, the vines. Now, trellising would involve some trimming off the branch, things growing there that weren't wanted, or needed, or growing in the wrong location. And so as you trellis an unfruitful branch, you trim it, but you don't lop it off. Can you picture the difference? The branch is lifted, it's trellised to give it better aeration. Vine branches normally trail on the vine, or off the vine, on the ground. But trellising got a branch up 
It was unfruitful. It needed to get up so more air can get to it. It's done in hope. It's done for help. Verse 2 is incredibly gracious. What is the vine dresser doing when he trellises? He's helping the branch yield. Everything that got pruned, it was done in the spring. And you'd have these little sprigs and shoots and little suckers on the branch that got cut away because either they weren't needed, they were cluttering the growth in a particular area, or they were growing in an undesired location. Vine dressers shaped their vine branches. Only at the end of the growing season was their cutting off vine branches. And this is what verse 6 is picturing. Verse 6 is the end of the season from verse 2. The larger point of Jesus' teaching, which I don't want you to lose for the explanation that I've engaged here of supervising vine branches, the point is usefulness to God. What happens is we read too much into the burning in verse 6. We suddenly bring non-Christians into the portrait where they are not. He's talking to disciples. And we draw punishment or judgment out of the imagery in verse 6 when the instruction to disciples is that Jesus wants to use us. And we can opt out of that. And if we opt out of that, that's not good. Not in a judgment punishment sense, but in a sense that all the ways that God could have used us, we didn't give ourselves over to being used by him. Still his. Jesus is saying here, if you're going to be useful to God, you're going to have to abide in me. That is to say, your obedience must be cultivated from a heart of love for God, just as my obedience to the Father is because of love for him. This is what I'm working in you for. What's the one I'm working with you for? If your Bible's still open, look at verse 9. Look down at verse 9. We didn't read it. As the Father has loved me, verse 9, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Now verse 10, if you keep my commandments, here's the connection. If you keep my commandments, obey, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Do you see the connection? Jesus is saying, those who, if you're going to be useful to God, you're going to have to abide in me. That is, obey, cultivating a heart of love for God. But he also says, back up in verse 2, those who struggle with obedience, I will trellis. I won't give up on them. How gracious is this? If you're trellised, you're unfruitful. But in being trellised, the act is a hopeful act of God that you will become fruit-bearing. And so trellising, I mean, what could trellising look like? It could look like any number of things. Trellising might be letting us have a consequence so that we learn better to listen to God. Trellising might require our being set aside for a season, for something that we really want or we really want to be in on, but we're not because we need to relearn something or we need to unlearn something, some way of being or doing that, that isn't fruitful or there's no longer sufficient. Or we just need better shaping. And God's doing this. Verse 2 is actually quite gracious. The trellis for those who are struggling, who aren't getting it, who are afraid that obedience will require some work from me that, that I, I, I don't want to engage. But our vine dresser doesn't give up on us. He will, he will help us bear the fruit that he has appointed us to go and bear. Look down at verse 16. 
You did not choose me, verse 16, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you, which is what a love relationship is about. This is what we really want. And guess what? Jesus wants this for us even more than we do on our best day. He helps we who struggle to obey. And then there are those of us who are doing pretty well with obedience. And he says to us in verse 2, I prune you. And this is often by way of hard things, frankly, that enter our lives. Sufferings, checks on our motivation and such. And then when he gets to verse 6, he says, look, if you're a disciple and you choose not to abide in me, you're not useful to me. You're not looking to me in dependence on me. You're, 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 you've got a little bit of gospel, you've got a little bit of church, but you don't know what it is to love me, and therefore you don't really care about obeying me. You don't abide, and you might as well be like the branches that at end of season get cut off because nothing came from them. I can't use those branches. His point to his people is our usefulness. The non-abiding branches in verse 6 are not being punished. There's just a way that evangelicals come at Scripture so often with this, is saved or not saved, saved or not saved, saved or not saved. And so many texts you read that into are not talking about that. This is talking to disciples. Do you want to be used by God? Learn to obey from the heart. Do you don't care about being used by God? Well, Jesus says, I, then I can't use you. Love you. Want you to be used by me. Want you to know more than the surface and the little kiddie pool that you want to wait around in for 50 years. Want you to branch out and, and meet somebody that, that you don't think you want to know. Want you to do this over here that, that if you just stepped out and, and, and got over your fears and trusted me, you would see something open up to you. It's been well said, and I think it's true, that the tears that God wipes away in heaven are not about our sin. Our sin's been dealt with at the cross. But about all the ways we now realize we could have been used and we were too distracted, too preoccupied with ourselves, too caught up in some emotion of the world that doesn't matter a hill of beans to the kingdom of God. That's why he wipes the tears away. You're supposed to be there. That's what the cross is about, is that we're going to be there with him, but are we going to be used by him? Now, what does this have to do with listening? Simply this. Don't talk about abiding until you get verse 3. Verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. You're not going to care about obedience from the heart until you hear what God has done for you. Until that penny drops and you really get a hold of what God has done for you, do you hear this? Verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Do you know what this is? Do you remember Romans 8.1? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is Jesus' version. John 15.3 is Jesus' version of Romans 8.1. 
You are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. A word spoken to us is for our listening, not just our hearing it. Listening happens when the word plants in us and forms us around itself like a vine. Listening is an abiding practice for making us more useful to God. Listening to God. And every way we fail to listen, including really not hearing the gospel, it's something the Lord works to prune from his people so that we won't be unfruitful. So that we won't obey for the wrong reasons. So that we won't become the people God has to work around because we're not listening to him. The great need in the American evangelical expression of church today is to listen to God, to immerse ourselves in listening. How do we do that? You know the answer. Primarily by way of steady intake of God's word. Do you listen to the scriptures? Do you meditate on the word of God? Do you memorize it? Are you in any kind of group where together you give yourselves to the reading of Scripture aloud. My, uh, my wife's got a, a, a Monday night group, and she was, we were talking about it some this week. And she said, you know, one of the things that, that had sort of been surprising to her is just when we read Scripture together, we just read it. And she says, something, there's something powerful in that, of hearing each other read the Word of God, no matter where we are in it. In the information age, we know so much more about so many other things around us than what God has said to us. It's like church's knowledge of the world gets greater and greater and greater, and our knowledge of the gospel gets smaller and smaller and smaller. That's inverse. Do you know what Jesus taught? Does it come to you in the moments you need it? Like, for example, you ever catch yourself making an enemy of someone? because they don't think like you on a certain issue, because you just don't like who they're for and what they're about, and they aggravate you, they even enrage you, and, and you're, just, you know, you're just throwing all this stuff at them mentally and emotionally, and then it hits you. Love your enemies. Yeah, where'd that come from? You know. The Holy Spirit indwelling is where it comes from. Pray for those who persecute you. He didn't say post about them. He said pray for them. And so much energy that's taken up in posting about them could be so much better used listening to God in praying for them. Jesus said this. And when that, when that hits you in those moments you need it to hit you and you say, you know, oh, Lord, I, I want to listen. I'm tired of my self-righteous self. I'm, I'm worn out with me. That was one of my prayers this week. I got angry about something and I just went and sat in my office and I just said, Lord, I am sick of my sin. I am sick of everybody else's sin. I am sick of this and all of it and I'm just done. You, you, I, you have a pastor that sometimes has these little tantrum fits with the Lord. Sorry. And I just said, Lord, I'm just, I, I was just, it was tiresome. It was a thing that we've been dealing with for a few years now. And it just, it didn't seem to be going anywhere. And it's like, oh, what does it take? You know what that was? You know what that prayer was? That was Romans 8, groanings too deep for words. Because God cuts through all that vine-ness stuff 
the, all that, that stuff that's shrouding my prayer and gets, gets down into what Cole is really saying here is, Lord, I want you to show up. I want you to be present to me in this in a way that I, I know and I feel and I see you. Above all the clamor and the chatter of incessant opinionating that is the white noise of every day in this culture. I want to listen to you, Jesus, not just on Sundays. I want to listen to you. I want to hear you. A steady intake of God's word. Now, I realize that a lot of you, you may have uh, tried scripture reading plans and, and failed to stay at them many times. You feel guilty when somebody raises a subject. You feel the sense of, oh, no, here it comes. I'm going to have to go home today and think about how am I going to read scripture this week, you know. Can I give you a trellis? Trellises are good here. You probably have a phone, right? There you have a phone. It's quiet in here. People are now going, oh, he saw me. <laughs> I wasn't looking at anything, you know. And that phone can download apps. And you know, the incredible thing about that is that there are apps that will actually read the Bible to you. I say this to free you from the guilt and shame that I have encountered in people in this church who say, oh yeah, you know, sometimes it's just the day was full, I didn't get to read my Bible. And I've said, you know, could you get a, a Bible app and, and just listen to a chapter when you're doing something else? And they, they say, does that count? <laughs> yeah, it counts. It counts and it's beautiful. To watch somebody go from sticky pages in their Bible, and it's like, boy, I open it up and I just feel overwhelmed, to they, they pop the app and they get this wonderful British accent, you know, of somebody reading a Bible, and they get it. It starts getting into them. But then they feel guilty because they go to some study of ours and, well, oh, you're not really reading the Bible when you're listening to it. You say, stop that. Stop doing that to people. Let's get people to, to succeed how they can succeed. And, and they can succeed in listening to the Bible read on an app. I beg some of you to try. Just try listening to it. You mean I don't have to get up an hour earlier for intensive Bible reading? Well, good if you do. But some of you, especially young parents in the room, you need the sleep. But we also need, and we know this, we need to cultivate listening to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And, and he speaks in and through his word. And so somehow, someway, whether in big chunks with a big black preacher's Bible like mine, or you get an app on your phone and little snippets along the way day to day, you just listen to the word of God. You can cultivate, you can do this, you can cultivate the abiding practice of listening. As you listen to the word of God, you're doing it. You're doing it. It's really cool. I remember hearing Dan Patrick on his sports talk show once respond to an injury report of a player who was listed as day-to-day. -day. And Dan Patrick paused and he said, aren't we all day-to-day, -day, really? And I thought, you know, he's on to something. We all are. But somehow, someway, the scripture has to be listened to every day. That's where God speaks. That's our conviction in our church. That's our conviction as evangelicals. God speaks through his word.
Some of us go through the week listening to hours and hours of cultural commentary, hours and hours of entertainment. And this today, right now, this is your one-stop shop for your little thimble. You want me to fill that little thimble. It's not enough. Worship is an all-of-life experience, not just a Sunday gathering. Worship is listening to God through his word in such a way that his word is, is it's now getting into me. It's getting into my experiences of life. It's translating things for me. It's, it's giving me a direction and an orientation. It's giving me vocabulary for prayer. And, and, and then that starts to happen. I, I, I take what I listened to or read and I, I say, I, you know, Lord, I, I, um, I like how the psalmist put that. And I, I'd love for that to be true in my life. And, and you just begin to take those steps and soon you're running. Sure, it's possible to read the, God, the Word of God woodenly and become superstitious with it, you know, walking around venerating it like this, oh, oh. I once had a friend who said, you know, I, I hate when they put uh, verses on, uh, on pencils. How could you grind the Word of God? I mean, what are you talking about? How stupid is that? Worship is a strategy Eugene Peterson, somebody I loved, died this week. And he said, worship is a strategy whereby we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and pay attention to God. Are you paying attention? That's listening. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Do you hear that? Don't run to figuring out abiding until you hear that. You are clean. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That means you're welcomed in. That means if you're struggling, he'll trellis you. If you're doing well, he'll prune you so that your self-righteousness won't take over. Look at me. I'm the epitome of all good godly things that one should. I, I enjoy kidding with people around here when I show up and people say, oh, well, no. So, so. I say, yeah, you better start being holy because I'm, I'm, I'm in your presence. I enjoy kidding about that because it's, it's ridiculous, isn't it? That thought. Better get busy for God. Here comes the pastor. We weren't talking about the game. We were talking about uh, uh, John 15. What are you going to say today? <laughs> no, you weren't. You're talking about the game. And I might want to talk about the game with you because we do live in a world where there's a lot of things we enjoy and we're part of, and that's fine. I'm trying to put the fruit down low because I think a lot of us think that we have to reach so high and God wants to use you on the authority of this passage but you start with where you can go and you build strength from there that's meant to be encouraging this is an encouraging passage because it says that our God is for us in some marvelous ways that he wants us to bear fruit for him. That's a glorious thing to consider. Would you pray with me? We thank you, Lord, for this text, for where you gave it, how you gave it, to whom you directed it. And we ask that you would, first of all, really plant us in this realization that you've made us clean, that there's no condemnation. And so that abiding is then something we want to do, we want to know more about. We're, we're interested in it because we're interested in getting more of you. Not so that people pat us on the back. If that happens, fine. 
but so that we're useful to you and we, we see in our life you using us in, in ways that we would have opted out of, but now we're in and we're realizing this, this is pretty good. And Lord, it won't all be uh, easy, but it, it'll, be, it'll, it'll be you. We'll be dealing with you in that. And that's, that's really what we want when we strip away all the other stuff of our lives. We just really want to interact with you and have a sense that we are and that we're growing. And so I pray for the one who's discouraged this morning by talk of getting into the word because it's never proven very fruitful for them and they're honest about that, that you'd, you'd meet them in a Bible app. They'd just start listening, just making it a part of every day, just going to listen. And in listening, they begin to hear and, they, and, 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 the, and the word roots more deeply in the, and, and they start seeing the buds and the blossoms and it excites them. And they'll still see their sin. In fact, they'll see their sin even more. Lord, we can't miss that. The closer we get to you, the more we're exposed. And so don't let us get discouraged in that because we start really seeing ourselves as more in need of grace than we ever thought we were. And when that happens, we want to pull back. But you say, keep coming. That's the point. The point is that you see that you need Jesus. Not just to save you, but to sanctify you and to carry you all the way home. So we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.